Well, I want you to open your Bible over to Jeremiah, Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah 17, and this really goes along with what I already said. As we are continuing our series, God, Your Family, and You, this is part six, hard to believe we've gone this far already. I've entitled this today, A Duet Instead of a Duel. Marriage is supposed to be a duet, it is not supposed to be a duel. People are different. We were raised in different families. We have different likes. We have different qualities, different strengths, different weaknesses. People are different. And when two married people come together, they're different and they are becoming one. And so there's a lot of adjustment involved in that. Now, what I'm giving you today are things that I have put together over years, doing marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, after marriage counseling, people who are in trouble, marriage counseling, and these truths stand, all right? Now, the application of them isn't always easy, but they are true. And how do you fix marriage conflicts? Well, when there are conflicts, let me say this very bluntly today, it is because we are sinners, and of course, it's also because we have different points of view, but when there are conflicts, The goal is not to win an argument, but to produce harmony in the relationship. Let me say that again. When there are marriage conflicts, the goal is not to win an argument. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of people are today. There was the man who said, he was talking about his marriage relationship. He says, I always have the last word in every argument, even if I have to go into the other room to say it. (laughs) That's not the point. That's not the point. God wants harmony in the relationship. Now, these truths that we will cover today are not only good for marriage, but they're good for all relationships because relationships are relationships. But the most intimate, the most uh, uh, constant would be in a marriage relationship. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, it says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, the heart is deceitful. The heart deceives us. And can I say today that sometimes we think we're right and we have deceived ourselves. And so we get stubborn on something and in fact we're wrong. Are we willing to change? More about that in a little while here. God does not want us to have marriages not in harmony, out of tune, not right. He wants our marriages to have peace in them and joy. God's ways are always the best ways. Therefore, the goal should be to realize and accept God's way and solution. When we realize and accept and apply God's way and solution, folks, the result is harmony. The key is to be committed to resolving the conflicts in a biblical way. You see, when there is contention, usually at the core of that contention. And I'm not just talking about a a general disagreement. I'm talking about when conflict, friction comes up. Usually somewhere at the core of that is pride. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10 says this, only by pride cometh contention, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Usually with pride, usually selfishness is at the heart of that because that's what really pride is. A person who's living in pride is somebody who is living according to themselves, their own thinking, that's selfishness. So how do we solve conflicts? Well, let's go through these because I have 10 of them 
I can't go through them, spend a lot of time on each. There's some that I'll spend more time on than others, but I have 10 of them to share with you today. So what are they, okay? The first one is this, be prayerful. Ask the Lord for understanding, for wisdom, for self-control. Ask the Lord for his will. If you are going to get together, okay, if something is really hot, pray before you get into it. And I say, well, I don't feel like praying. I just feel like giving it to him. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, me thinks you're part of the problem, okay? (laughs) If that's your attitude. Remember, harmony, God's way, honoring him. That's the goal. Be prayerful. Ask the Lord for understanding, wisdom, self-control. Ask the Lord for his will. This is one reason why being a believer is so important. You have a new nature inside of you. If you've trusted Christ as your savior, you have a new nature inside of you. And you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And you can understand the word of God. And God gives us power through these things. And he gives us, listen, he gives us self-control through these things. The fruit of the Spirit, one of them is self-control, okay? Now, if both of you are saved, you've both trusted Christ as Savior, you realize Jesus died on the cross, paid for your sins, came back from the dead, you realize your good works cannot save you in any way, shape, or form, and you've trusted in Christ and Him alone as your Savior. God says you're a child of God, you're saved, and you have these things inside of you. Now, if both of you are saved and are spiritually-minded people then you will look to God for solutions to the issue that you have. Be prayerful. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Matthew 7, 7, it says this, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door, and it shall be open unto you. Now, I want you to uh, look at an illustration that we did early in this series, but it was this triangle, and if you want to call it this, this is a... This is a godly love triangle, okay? And what we see is we see this, and we see God at the top. Now, this is a Christian marriage. This is a Christian marriage. Here's God at the top. Here's a Christian husband. Here is a Christian wife. Now, why do I say they're Christians? Well, because this is the way God wants us to be, okay? If you're married to an unbeliever, it's going to be far more difficult for you to have things right. But in this relationship here, as the husband draws closer to God and grows as a believer and becomes more like-minded with God, more godly in his thinking, and as the wife does the same thing, and this is God's will and God's ideal for that marriage, as they both grow closer to God, notice the distance between them gets less and less. As my mind is in conformity with the word of God and the will of God, and and my wife's mind is in conformity with the will of God and the word of God, guess what? We're going to be more in conformity with each other. There's going to be more harmony in that. But that's not automatic. This has to do with life. Now, this is the privilege of the believer. You might say, well, I'm not a Christian. Well, then trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trust in him to forgive you of your sins, to give you everlasting life. He'll do it. In a moment of time, salvation comes in a moment of time. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved. When? Then. Jesus said in John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath right now, possesses right now, present tense, everlasting life. So trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And once you're saved, 
God can give you the strength. God can give you answers. God can provide to bring harmony, okay? Your marriage can be helped. So number one, be prayerful. But secondly, and oh, this is so important. Number two, be willing to reconcile. Be willing to reconcile. Listen, dear friend, there is no profit in holding a grudge or trying to prove that you are right. The entire theme of Scripture, let me say it again, the entire theme of Scripture is that God is a God of reconciliation. We see this in the plan of salvation itself. This is from the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God right away said he was going to provide a way of salvation to where they can get back, to where man can be reconciled back to God. And of course he did that. In Genesis 3.15, he gave the promise of the Messiah that would come one day and make the payment for sin. You know, Adam and Eve figured they'd take it into their own hands and they sewed fig leaves together. That's weird. What did God do? He provided the skins of an animal to cover them. And of course, what had to be shed? Blood had to be shed to provide that covering. It's a picture of salvation. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Here you go. Look at this. This is the definition, in a sense, of reconciliation. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened or made alive by the Spirit. I want you to see in your Bible over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Would you turn there with me? I'm taking you to these scriptures because I hope that you would consider maybe either underlining or highlighting or circling these words as we go through. This is, this is how your Bible becomes a personal Bible, a personal study Bible to you. Don't be afraid to mark up your Bible, okay? That's not sacrilegious. Now, don't write dumb things in it, but don't be afraid to mark up your Bible. It will help you in the future. But I want you to see this. Remember, what's the point? Be willing to reconcile. You know, if you have a conflict with your spouse, do you want to get it fixed? Do you want to get it fixed? Do you know there are people who are divorced because one or the other did not want to get it fixed? That is completely contrary to the will of God. God is a God of reconciliation. It's his entire plan for man to be reconciled back, to have harmony with him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You have a new position in Christ, okay? You're no longer a child of the devil. You're a child of God. You're no longer under condemnation. You've been justified. You were on your way to hell. Now you're on your way to heaven. Your sins were held against you. Now they're forgiven. You used to have just the old nature. Now you have a new nature as well. You were under bondage. Now you have the freedom of Christ. All of this comes the moment you trust Jesus Christ, the Savior, it all becomes yours. Okay, now verse 18, look what it says. And all things are of God who hath, here's the word, reconciled. There's the word, circle it, underline it. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. So not only did God save me and bring me back into relationship with him, but he says, now I'm giving you the ministry to tell other people how they can be reconciled back. This is what it's about. Verse 19, to wit that God was in Christ. What was he doing? Reconciling. 
the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Two verses, four times, we see this concept of reconciliation. God is a God of reconciliation. Are you willing to reconcile with your spouse? Are you willing to reconcile? You might say, you don't know what they've done. Or we're going to get to that. But are you willing to reconcile? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, God hath made Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation is seen in the plan of salvation. God wants to bring us to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now we see this issue of reconciliation in almost all passages that address people dealing with people. You always, you never see God saying, okay, you know, you're, you're having a problem there, then just, you know, be done with it. Be done with that person. Okay, that's not the point. The point is God wants there to be harmony when we're dealing with people. In this context, I'm talking about. Number three, be honest. Be honest. Be a man or woman enough to take responsibility if you are wrong. Do not let your pride get in the way. If pride is in the way, you'll never have reconciliation. You're never going to fix it. If you are at fault, even some of the issue, you are at fault, you need to admit that, you need to confess that, you need to deal with it properly, and we'll talk more about that as we go through here. Be honest about it. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And by the way, there is so much here in Ephesians 4 having to do with all of this. Ephesians chapter 4 in verse 25, it says this, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the, sin, or let not the sun go down upon your wrath, your anger, okay? There should be the freedom to communicate honestly and openly about it. Be honest about the situation. Someone once said, a problem honestly stated is half solved. Problem is we can't get people to be honest about it. Number four, we're all guilty of this or all guilty of the opposite of this. The quality is this, be accurate, be accurate. If you go after your spouse with an accusative spirit, they are already on the defensive. That's why you pray. That's why you ask for self-control. That's why all these things, they all work together. Be accurate, okay? Don't exaggerate. When we exaggerate, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. Not a good idea. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. The word corrupt means rotten, okay? Rotting. It was a description of fruit in the marketplace that was going bad. Let no rotten talk proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying or building up, that it may minister grace unto the, unto the hearers, okay? Corrupt communication. You might say, well, isn't that in conflict with being honest? No, it's not. If we are being honest and you have something negative that you need to bring up or you need to get fixed, do it in a right way. It's not corrupt if you do it in a right way. Remember, the word corrupt means rotten talk. It's not rotten talk if you're doing it in the right spirit. When we have corrupt communication, though, it tears down and it deteriorates 
the relationship. It tears down and it deteriorates the relationship. But when we speak in a constructive way, that's what edifying, okay? But that which is good to the use of edifying, edify means to build up. When we speak in a constructive way with self-control, it builds the relationship and makes it better than it was before. You're being accurate. You're being honest, okay? These are incredibly important things. Number five, be considerate. Be considerate. Now, what do I mean by that? Try to see your spouse's point of view. Now, you know what that's going to do? It's going to take time. It takes time, so don't be in a hurry. It could lead to great progress in your relationship, but you need to see your spouse's point of view, okay? You need to listen. You need to listen. Don't be, you know, loaded up waiting for a space in between their breath as they're talking to where you can blast them. That's not constructive. That's not considerate. Considerate is you try to listen and understand what they're saying. And sometimes you just don't get it, but if you wait long enough, hopefully it will sink through and we can all understand one another. So be considerate. Colossians chapter 4. It says in verse 6, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let your speech be with grace. What are we talking about? We're talking about being considerate to the individual, being respectful to them as a person. Communicate. Take time. Be considerate. Say this. Let's not argue. Let's talk. Let's not argue. Let's talk. A person who thinks that way, who's in that frame of mind, that's a great benefit to that situation because it's not inflamed then. It can be constructive. Something good can come out of that. But when you store up ammunition for months and months and months, and then one little thing sets it off, and you've got World War III on your hands, you might say, how did that happen? It was just a little thing. Well, you've been storing up ammunition. Don't store up ammunition. That's a mistake. Along with this number six, be fair. Be fair. You are two different people. There may need to be compromises on some issues to get along. Now, I'm not saying we forsake the truth, but there needs to be compromises. Every one of you who's been married for any length of time would most likely, I would think, agree with the thing. There needs to be in a marriage relationship, give and take on some things. There needs to be some flexibility on that. You're two different people. You need to try working together. Don't think in terms of, I'm going to win. It's not a matter of who wins. It's a matter of, do you have harmony? Are you honoring God with that? That's the issue. When the mindset is, I'm going to win, the focus is on I. It's not on we. Marriage is a we thing. So be fair. Keep it in perspective, okay? Listen, keep it in perspective. What's really important? What is it you're having a conflict over? Is it really worth it? Okay. Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me. Husband blows up at his wife. Why are you so angry? You didn't put my socks in the drawer like I wanted you to. Okay. Are you kidding me? You're having a fight over something as, as far as the location of your socks in a drawer? Do we understand how ridiculous that is? It's ridiculous. Or this. 
I told your wife says, I told you a million times to squeeze the toothpaste from the bottom to the top instead of, <laughs> instead of in the middle. Okay. This is not good. This is not good. Listen, you know what you ought to do? They got these things. They're really cool. My wife picked them up. They're plastic things. They're about this long. And then they've got a slot and you put the bottom of the toothpaste in that slot. And then you just push the thing up. It works really good. And as you go, the toothpaste is always there. And when you get done, you've used it all. You're not throwing away a half used thing of toothpaste. You might say, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to that extent. Well, then do this. How about buy him his own toothpaste and you have your own? No, it's going to be my way or the highway. We have something for you. It's called preschool. <laughs> right, Kate? She's our preschool teacher. Look at it. Philippians chapter two and verse three, it says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Vain glory has to do with the exaltation of yourself. But in lowliness of mind, humility, let each esteem other better than themselves. Do you see that? Let each esteem others. In other words, you put your spouse before yourself, not you before them, they before you. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now that's not talking about become a busybody. Okay, what it's talking about is look and put other people's needs before your own. Now, this principle given into marriage makes a marriage better. Wouldn't you agree that that is a good thing we ought to have in our marriages? Putting the other person in front of ourselves. See, both have to think of the other person and desire to please the other person. This is the way it works. So be be fair. If you have to do something, if you've got to make some compromises along the way, it's you know, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. Think in terms of, okay, you know, you might say, well, well I, don't, I, don't like, I don't like that. But for that other person, that's a necessary thing for them to function properly or whatever. And you know what you do? You just say, that's not a big deal. Just let it be. Our relationship is worth it to make a little compromise like that, like toothpaste. Number seven. Oh, this is so important. Be mindful that you are both one in Christ. We're talking about a Christian marriage. Be mindful that you are both one in Christ. See, we are to be on the same team. Listen, think about it. Now, I'm not asking you to verbally do this right now, but if you're with your spouse today, think in terms of, you know, you can look at the other person and you can say to them, both of you say it to each other, you are not the enemy. Say it 10 times, you know, you are not the enemy. You are not the enemy. Why is it that some marriages deteriorate to the point to where they see each other as the enemy? Something's seriously wrong. Be mindful that you are one in Christ. We are on the same team. See, how you treat your spouse will have a definite effect on you because you are one. I say, where does it say that? Glad you asked. Back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 28, it says, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies, he that loveth his wife loveth himself. Verse 31, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. He who loves his wife loves 
himself. If you want God to be gracious to you, be gracious to others. Okay? If, if you want your relationship to be good with your wife, treat her in a good way. When you do her good, you do you good. You do yourself good. If you do her bad, you do yourself bad. By the way, and I know this is a sensitive issue because we have people in our church and listen, God loves you no matter what, but we have people who've gone through divorce, maybe, maybe a, a terrible situation, and you're still dealing with the pain and hurt of that. And you know, you got divorced and it really hurt. It really hurt. Yeah, it really hurt. Why? Well, because you were one with that other person and basically you were torn apart. I've heard people say, you know, when we got divorced, it tore me apart. Yeah, it did. It really did. I'm sorry that that happened. How much better it would be, right? If we had tools to where that didn't happen. Instead of going in the negative, it went in the positive. Number eight, this is huge. Be willing to sincerely say, quote, I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, this is not a formula, okay? This is from the heart. You mean it. James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, I know it's not talking about the marriage relationship here, but there is an application here that fits. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. You know, I'm amazed as we go through this how much prayer is coming up. Confess your faults one to another. Are you willing to say, I was wrong, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Some people have the hardest time with that. Why would we have such a hard time with that? If we are at fault, why would we have such a hard time? Okay, well, the answer was at the very beginning today. Pride is the reason. And pride is always the enemy. It's never the friend. Number nine, which goes along with number eight, and this is gigantic, be forgiving. Be forgiving. Now, let me just be frank today on this. There is no point in holding something against your spouse. What do you wish to gain by that? What do you think you will gain by that? Can you name one good thing you can gain by holding something against them? It is completely contrary to the word of God and the truth of scripture. You might say, well, you don't know the pain and the hurt from the sin that they committed towards me. Can I tell you this? No one knows the pain of sin more than God does. He sacrificed the son. Look at the cross. You talk about the pain that comes with sin. Look at the cross. What Jesus did for us. And what does God offer to us? He offers forgiveness. Forgiveness. Willingly. We talked about this recently in church Wednesday night. Jesus, folks, Jesus is on the cross, becoming sin for you and me, paying our sin debt. And what does he say as he's looking at all the mockers and the people who are sneering and, and casting lots for his garment and all that? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, we do not know how deep the heinous nature of sin is. And yet the son, by the very fact that he was suffering for us, at the same time, he's asking forgiveness from the father for the very ones who are torturing him. Ephesians 4.32, it says, 
Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. There's the example for us. There's the example. I got a question for you. How many sins did Jesus forgive of yours when you trusted Christ? All of them. Can I tell you this, folks? He forgave you of things you haven't even done yet. That is a picture of the grace of God. We don't deserve that. God wants us to be Christ-like, right? Here in Ephesians 4.32, it says, it uses the word forgiving one another. The word forgiving here, this word for forgiveness, it has the same root as the word grace. The same root. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, gracing one another, acting towards your spouse with unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, undeserved. That's amazing. But that is how we're supposed to be, forgiving. Colossians chapter 3, a few pages over to your right. Colossians chapter 3, it says in verse 12, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of tender mercies, or tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. Interesting, these are put together. Forbearing means putting up with putting up with one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Wow. If you're born again, God has forgiven you of all your sin. Can you not forgive a person for one thing that they did? God's forgiven you of everything. Let me show you some passages in Matthew. I know we're jumping around a lot, but I just want to give you scripture after scripture on this stuff. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Here is a principle, friend. I'll tell you what. We need to sit up and think about this. This is a very sobering truth. Now, we are not talking about from an eternal perspective as far as forgiveness. We know the moment you trust in Jesus Christ the Savior, you're forgiven. You have eternal life. But we are talking in these scriptures on a fellowship level with God. In other words, your walk with God, your daily walk, your daily fellowship relationship with him, not in light of eternity, but in light of the here and now. Do you want a good walk with God? Do you want God to be very kind with you? Listen carefully. Listen carefully. If you won't forgive, then God will not forgive you. Can I tell you this? There's a lot of Christians going through life out of fellowship with God. Because God says, if you won't forgive, I will not forgive you. Again, we're not talking about going to heaven. We're talking about on a human level here. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now let us not look at that and say, well, I don't believe that. It's there. It's true. See, people who will not forgive live their lives while being eaten alive by a type of cancer. It's a spiritual cancer. Many marriages break up because of this. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. I don't know where you are today in your marriage, but can I tell you this, dear friend? God has a plan and he can make it better. You're in Matthew chapter 6. Go to chapter 18 with me. You know, I'm amazed. People will go to uh, 
They want to talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They always go to Matthew 19 and looking, looking, looking. Where's that passage about adultery? You know, let me see how I can get out of my marriage. Did you know in the scriptures? Now, I don't know in time and space if it was this way. I don't know if this conversation between Jesus and Peter in Matthew 18, I don't know if that came literally uh, time-wise right before the issue on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I don't know. But I do know this, it's that way in the Bible. And before we ever get to the issue of marriage breaking apart, there is the, probably the lengthiest passage in Scripture having to do with forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21, Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Till seventy times? Or seven times? I'm sorry. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times Seven. Who is speaking here? God. Who knows about forgiveness? God. Who knows what it is to forgive somebody of all their sins? God. Let me read you an amazing story I read the other day. I'd never heard this before. This is true. This really happened. And to be honest with you, I doubt seriously if any of you are in this exact kind of situation or have experience. And maybe you have. After more than 50 years of secrecy, a woman shared her intensely private story with dear Abby. She said this, I was 20 and he was 26. We had been married two years and I hadn't dreamed he could be unfaithful. The awful truth was brought home to me when a young widow from a neighboring farm came to tell me she was carrying my husband's child. My world collapsed. I wanted to die. I fought an urge to kill her and him. I knew that wasn't the answer. I prayed for strength and guidance, and it came. By the way, what's the first one today? Be prayerful. Okay, listen, I I continue. I knew I had to forgive this man, and I did. I forgave her too. I calmly told my husband what I had learned And the three of us worked out a solution together. What a frightening little creature she was. I'm assuming she's talking about this woman. The baby was born in my home. Everyone thought I had given birth and that my neighbor was, quote unquote, helping me. Actually, it was the other way around. But the widow was spared humiliation. She had three other children. And the little boy was raised as my own. He never knew the truth. Was this divine compensation for my own inability to bear a child? I do not know. I have never mentioned this incident to my husband. It has been a closed chapter in our lives for over 50 years. But I've read the love and gratitude in his eyes a thousand times. That's amazing. That's amazing. Let me give you the last one today. Be private be private. Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother between you and him alone, or between you and her alone. Don't go to work and say, you wouldn't believe what my husband did or what my wife did. Okay, and you tell all your co-workers about it or your friends or your girlfriend or your pal or, or whatever. Listen, listen, it's none of their business. 
Be private. Don't tell everyone your problem. It will humiliate and embarrass your spouse, and it could drive a difficult wedge in between you. And by the way, with that, don't argue about things in front of your kids. That breeds insecurity in them. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Folks, these 10 principles, easy, not necessarily easy, helpful, biblical, constructive, brings harmony? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. The question is not, are they true and will they work? The question is, will we work them? That's the question. Now, let me say today, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, okay? You're not even in the family yet. God wants you in his family. But the only way you can do that is by putting your faith, your trust in him. If this was you and me and my wallet, our sin, we're all sinners. We covered that at the beginning, didn't we? Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. He loves us. To get to heaven, you have to have all of our sin gone. But we're sinners. What are we going to do? Well, if we die with our sin, we'll be separated from God forever. Good works will not take away your sin. Going to church, being baptized, doing your best, it will not take away your sin. The only way your sin can be taken away is by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Why would you do that? Here's the reason. This hand represents him. He came and when he died on the cross, he took your sin upon himself. He made the payment so you don't have to. He did it for you. That's how loving God is. He did it for you. Was buried and came back from the dead. And the Bible says this, if you will put your faith in him, he will save you. He'll give you everlasting life. You become his child that very moment. It's simply by faith and faith alone in Christ alone that you're saved. Romans 5, 8 says, God commended or displayed his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you believe, when you trust in him, your sins are forgiven. They're taken away. You're cleansed. Would you trust Christ as your savior today? The scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Trust Christ today. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.